The prophet Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 1 through 4. Let us now pray. Gracious God, mighty Father, everlasting Savior, look upon your people, we pray. Give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, wills to obey. Come and help us now in the public reading of your word and its preaching. For it is your pleasure to have the word of the king heralded forth by his servant. We thank you for gathering the subjects of your kingdom. We pray as the scroll is opened that all would give heed to the king's word. And they would hear it not for the presence of the messenger, but hear it for the one who has sent it. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be a great help to us now, to arrest our attention and hold it and give us the grace to take every responsibility we should to do right with what we have heard, whether it be unto believing it or unto doing it or unto both, to the praise, honor, and glory of King Jesus Christ, our Savior and God, in his name, amen. Isaiah 35, 1 through 4. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Acts chapter 14. beginning at verse 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is God's word. <clears throat> Beloved, how important is the care of souls in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Is the care of souls of great importance? Or is it of no importance? Does the soul of the Christian need serious care? Or does it need no care? 
Perhaps the soul of the Christian is something like a boulder by the side of the road, something that has always been the shape and the weight that it is, and it will always continue to be the shape and weight that it is. Therefore, we can leave it alone. God himself will lift it up on the last day and make it glorious. But maybe the soul of the Christian isn't like a boulder at all. Maybe the soul of a Christian is like something else, like a living person, like a child, who needs nourishment and exercise, work and rest, adversity and hope, love and attention, all for the purposes of growing up and growing strong to reflect and enjoy the glory for which it was created. Therefore, it would be a terrible idea to leave the soul of a Christian alone if it is like a child. It would be gross negligence, wouldn't it? Beloved, if you have ever been confused about the importance of the care of souls in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, today's little tiny passage in Acts 14 removes the confusion. Verse 21 says that Paul and Barnabas, after working on the conversion of souls, you see it in verse 21, after that they went to work on the care of souls, 22 and 23. They worked on the conversion of souls, evangelism, at Derby, preaching the gospel there, but they returned to the three cities they had just previously visited to work on the care of souls. Souls already converted. They go right back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And here is the big thing. It was not safe to return to these three cities. It was dangerous, risky, perilous. When Paul and Barnabas first visited these cities, they were unknown. They were given the benefit of the doubt. Now coming back, they are a known quantity. There may be even a few wanted posters in the middle of town. Under what circumstances did Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch? Acts 13.50 told us, they were driven out of Antioch by the city's women of high standing and its leading men. Under what circumstances did Paul and Barnabas leave Iconium? Acts 14.5 told us, they caught wind of a plan to have them stoned to death, and so they fled. Under what circumstances did Paul and Barnabas leave Lystra? Acts 14.19 told us, Paul was stoned to death. This is escalation, folks. Paul's body was dragged out of the city of Lystra and left in a heap. But by God's power, he rose up and left Lystra the next day. But now, according to verse 21, they returned to each of these three cities. Back into the sharp teeth, into the munching jaws of the lion. What could be so important to go back there? What could be so precious there? The souls of converted disciples are there. Soul care is worth the risk. 
It is worth the peril. It is worth the danger. Soul care is worth a man in his 30s to aspire to be a ruling elder in the church of Jesus Christ for the rest of his life. The soul of the redeemed is so worthy of it. Soul care is one of the chief means by which the elect persevere in the faith to the end. There is no perseverance without it. By God's ordination, this is one chief way he keeps the elect. Beloved, soul care is worth the danger, the risk, the peril, because there is a greater danger, risk, and peril in these cities if they don't go back. What did our Lord Jesus say? Do not fear those who can throw your body into death. Fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell. The souls of those who have heard the gospel and who have originally picked it up like a seed and are glad to have it, and they begin to turn green, those souls need attention. Now, if you are under the spell of the dark magic of modernity, you will not think soul care is worth the risk. If you are under the spell of modernity, you will say, Paul, you should have just written a letter. You will say, Paul, you should not have come back into the lion's den. You see, the the dark magic of modernity decides what is important and what is necessary, not by the word of God, but by the questions of pragmatism. What will save us time? What will save us money? What will save us difficulty? No one who is spellbound by the dark magic of modernity wants to be a bother. And to be deep under the control of modernity's dark magic would in fact be to write a letter to Paul first and say to him, hey, Paul, we got this. We will care for our own souls. We will shepherd ourselves. We don't need you to come back here and appoint elders for us to care for our souls. No, we can be self-shepherded, Paul. After all, we have Google now. We have Alexa. We have YouTube. We have high-speed internet. Stand down, Paul. We got this. Arriva Durci. It's a little Italian. I practiced that for days. (laughs) Beloved, this is the voice that speaks under the dark spell of modernity and not hearing the word of God. Now listen to someone who is not under the dark spell of modernity. This voice comes from Hebrews 13, 17. One of our Lord's apostles says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. The dark magic of modernity says, I will care for my own soul. But the word of God says, Your soul, 
needs church leaders to keep watch over it. And these church leaders cannot keep watch over your soul from a great distance, from a screen that only is seen by the person sitting in front of it. They must be so close to you, their lives have to be frequently disrupted by the needs of your soul to keep watch over it. Why do I say their lives would need to be frequently disrupted? Because the expression keeping watch over in Hebrews 13, 17 comes from one Greek word which literally means going without sleep. It's a word used to describe the life of a watchman. It is the life of a shepherd out in a field at night watching the flocks. It is, in fact, the very ministry of Jesus Christ toward us in his sufferings that this word comes from. Remember the night of his arrest? Christ went to the guard of Gethsemane. He stayed awake. He did the work of a watchman. He stayed awake all night praying. Awake for us all night. Praying all night for strength to complete the sufferings that would redeem and save his sin-ravaged church. All soul care by church leaders finds its cornerstone and its imitation in Christ, the watchman. How close has he come? Christ drew near to us by his incarnation. Christ was greatly bothered for our needs. Christ entered peril and humiliation for our salvation. The eternal Son of God became man, taking to himself a true body and a rational soul so he could be our substitute under sin's curse. Christ is the archetype for all soul care in Christian churches. Soul care that draws near, it takes the risks, it enters the peril, it lives a life of disruption. Why? So that on the day of the great accounting, we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's Paul's way of explaining the day of accounting for all soul cares. Colossians 1.28. Now let me ask you, Will every church leader who can be found on YouTube be required to give an account for your soul? Will every church leader who you have viewed on YouTube have to give an account for your soul? The answer is no. Do you have to obey and submit to every church leader on YouTube? No. It is those close by soul carers, local church leaders, the ones Paul appoints in these three cities, according to verse 23. And the word appoint is the Greek for put hands upon, ordained officers. It is they who will have to give an account, who live up close to the flock, who smell like sheep. They will have to give an account. And they are the ones you are to obey and submit to. 
They are the men who are united to you in local church membership. I don't have to give an account for every soul that walks into this building. I have to give an account for every sermon, but not every soul, and there is a significant difference. I have to give an account for those who are bound to me in a relation of leadership and obedience in church membership. And not just me, bound to a plurality of elders. But it is a blessed binding because we are keeping watch over your souls. It is those lives that are disrupted and unsettled for the needs of your soul. Well, what then does the care of souls look like? Well, there is so much that could be said in answer to that question. We could have a 20-part series on the care of souls. But I want to go back to Acts 14.22 because there is an answer in Acts 14.22 for what does the care of souls look like? And then after we look at 14.22, we're going to look at one more passage, one in Luke's gospel, that illustrates this very helpfully. So Acts 14.22, it says, Paul and Barnabas returned to those three cities, quote, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, soul care is not just found in the first phrase of that verse. The goal of that first phrase, strengthening the souls of the disciples, that goal is carried out by the actions of the next two phrases. Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. What this means is that the care of the Christian soul is largely accomplished by speaking. Now, it might be obscured because of the English translation, and it might also be obscured because how we hear the word encouraging. But the word encouraging here is a word for speaking. It could also be translated exhorting, but exhorting with a particular aim in mind. And the word in the Greek for encouraging or exhorting It actually governs both phrase two and phrase three. Because in the Greek, there is no word for saying that begins the third phrase. It's exhorting, and then it's the two phrases. A little nerd moment for you. The point is this. The soul is cared for chiefly by speaking. Did you hear what we read in Isaiah 35 this morning? Verse 4, it said, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Say that. The Lord's giving his servants the script. Because if he doesn't, oh boy, malpractice on your soul. We're not going to say what needs to be said because we are human and weak. The Lord binds his servant, his care, his soul cares to his word. 
say these things to them. Beloved, let me not with any humor briefly care for your soul by saying this to you. Continue in the faith. Do not quit. Do not be surprised by tribulations. You must go through many to enter the kingdom of God. That's the speech of soul care. What this means for verse 23 is that elders in local churches must draw so near to disciples that they can see when and where the soul of disciples is becoming weak. What this means practically is our elders would love to spend more time with you, but we don't want to go to work with you. So we know that you have things to do. But we want to spend more time with you to care for your soul. We must be so close to you that we can see where your soul is becoming weak. And you'll see in a moment when we get to our Luke passage, it is not because we have a super spiritual insight that other men don't have. It's actually because we ourselves have had somebody so richly care for our souls that we know where the rails are for the train. So, elders must be so near to disciples, so near to the flock, that they smell like sheep and can sense mange, weakness, infection, deterioration, drift. Weak due to sin. Weak due to a love for the things of the world. Weak due to afflictions and trials and conflicts. Weak due to the inconveniences of Christian obedience. Weak due to the deceitfulness of riches. Weak due to the lust for man's praise. Weak due to the cares of the world. And the reason elders and pastors should be so skilled at identifying and seeing these weaknesses in the flock is that they have already seen them before in their own heart, their own soul, and they have been cared for. So they know the territory. That means your elders should be the worst sinners in the church, greatly cared for by previous elders in their lives. Paul says as much about his own life. Now, all those phrases I just gave you about weakness are lifted right out of the scriptures, many out of the Lord's own parables. So elders have to be close, but they also must be close enough to speak what needs to be spoken, exhorting, parakaleo, exhorting to continue in the faith and exhorting to never think that tribulations are strange or unexpected for the Christian soul. The road persevering pilgrims in Christ take all the way home to his kingdom, that road is paved by tribulation. It is not smooth. It is not paved by gold. If the road you're on, beloved, 
is smooth and is paved with gold and your life as a Christian is easy, if you are never inconvenienced by obedience, (laughs) you're not a Christian. And the Lord is speaking today to rescue your soul. Listen to these scriptures. I could have made this a 20-page list. These scriptures that I'm giving you are a sample of scriptures that basically say this. The Christian life is so difficult if your soul is not strengthened regularly, you'll want to quit. And if the Christianity that you are holding in your heart doesn't make you sometimes want to quit, it might not be the real thing. Listen to these scriptures. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What have we just heard? We have just had our prescription filled for the care of our soul. 2 Timothy 2.11, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. 1 Thessalonians 3.2, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. That's Paul applying the medicine of soul care, strengthening the souls of the Thessalonians through a letter because he couldn't get there face to face like he wanted to. John 16, our Lord, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Revelation 2.10, the letter to the church at Smyrna. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Beloved, it is not an overstatement to say that all of the scriptures are a testimony from Christ himself saying, do not quit the faith. The road forward is never going to be nothing other than hard, but the road beyond is glory. Heaven will make amends for all. You shall see the face of Christ. You shall enter the the everlasting kingdom. Luke 22, verse 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom. Now, Jesus said that to the apostles but he just as easily says that now to you. What is the definition of a Christian? Well, there are many answers we could say. I have 
yet to find a better answer than the one J.I. Packer gave. A Christian is somebody who knows that he has God as his father. But there are other definitions than that one. And here's one that should be in the top five, the one we just heard. What is a Christian? Those who have stayed with me in my trials, Jesus said. Beloved, do not think of the Christian life as something other than staying with the risen Christ in the hatred and vitriol and pure indifference that the unbelieving world shows him. You stay with him even so. There is no such way for the pilgrim to live and to be comforted than by these things. Our soul needs comfort for many things, but, there are, but all the rivers of anxiety, all the little tributaries of worry and regret and shame, they all actually flow into this greater river of tribulation in a world that opposes the Christ of God. And he says, continue on, for look where the Christ of God has gone. You shall soon be there with him. I promised a passage from the Gospel of Luke to illustrate these things, the care of souls. It comes in that same chapter I just quoted from a few verses later. Listen to Luke chapter 22, verse 32, and I will give some explanation. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. For the curious, the word strengthen is, yes, the same Greek word in Acts 14, verse 22. But this is a per- perfect exposition of Acts 14, 22. Jesus spoke those words to Peter, Simon Peter, the night before Jesus was crucified for Peter. In those words, Jesus was doing the work of soul care, wasn't he? while also enlisting Peter to the work of soul care. When you have turned again, go strengthen your brothers. Think about it. Jesus tells Peter that Satan wants control of Peter's soul. Jesus tells Peter that Satan's scheme will fail. Why? Because Jesus has prayed for Peter's sin-sick soul and the faith that lives there by the Holy Spirit. To tell Peter this, I have prayed for you, and your faith will not fail. To tell Peter this is to care for his soul. Beloved, that's again another faithful script in the care of souls. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Please, whenever I ask you to pray for me again, pray that my faith would not fail because that is the foundational issue. By his death on the cross, Jesus will fully purchase Peter's body and his soul. All Peter's treachery, all his cowardice, all his worldliness is to be atoned for by the shedding of Christ's blood. Peter's soul is taken under new ownership 
and into the care of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is the divine son, his prayers for Peter are always effectual. Peter's faith will not fail. But at the very end of what I read, Jesus tells Peter that his soul will be so wondrously kept and healed that when he recovers from his sin, he must go and write a book and go on TV or go hide in a mountain cabin. Hold it. It didn't say that. Pastor, you're adding to Scripture. You're right. I repent. It was absolutely foolish what I said. Beloved, when the soul is healed and kept and cared for by Jesus Christ, it can move quickly to healing the souls of others. It gives them what itself has just freshly received. That's why the Lord says this to Peter. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers, not their muscles, not their machismo, not their resume, not their bank account. Strengthen their soul by the very thing, Peter, that has strengthened yours. Which raises the important question, when did Peter turn again? The King James Version puts it this way, when thou art converted. The Lexham Bible puts it this way, once you have turned back, or recovered would be another good word. When did Peter turn again? He went out and wept bitterly for a while. Do you know when he turned again? The scriptures tell us. When he saw Christ in his resurrection power. In John 21, 7, Peter is fishing again on a boat. He's right back to his old life. And there, after the resurrection of his Savior, is Jesus on the shore making breakfast. Peter jumps off the boat into the sea, the text says, and swims to Christ. And they have the restoration conversation. Here's the point. That which turned Peter again is the very thing which Peter uses to strengthen his brothers. And what is that? The, the picture of the resurrection power of the risen Son of God. Didn't we hear that in Isaiah 55, or excuse me, 35 this morning? Yes, we did. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart. And then it tells us what to say. And what does it tell us to say? Behold your God. Behold your Savior. Behold him who was crucified. He will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Meaning Christ will return because he's risen and he will destroy all of his enemies and he will save you from the wrath of the eternal God forevermore. You know why some people are not healed of their, how did Isaiah say it? their weak hands, their feeble knees, and their anxious heart is because they don't want to be told about the resurrection of Christ 
as the true balm of their soul. They want somebody just to keep talking to them about the things that have wounded their soul. But the word of God and all the apostles and prophets say that the soul is best cared for by an announcement and a revelation that Jesus Christ has risen and he is coming again. And it puts everything into focus. And the soul begins a strengthening that can be given to others until the end of the age. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we are those of anxious heart. We are those of feeble knees and weak hands. We are those like the disciples of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, greatly in need of the strengthening of our souls. None of us spend the rest of our days as pilgrim without suffering the weaknesses spoken of in Isaiah and in Acts. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would let it be spoken to us. Let it be said to us. Let us hear it, that Jesus Christ is risen, that Jesus Christ is coming again, that Jesus Christ is the everlasting God of the living and the dead and Lord of all, and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And all who have, seek, have taken shelter in him by faith alone shall not be disappointed. Oh, Lord, let this be the rising sun of our weakened soul. Let it be the balm that refreshes us. How far? Oh, Father, refresh us as far as you refreshed Peter. Strengthen us as far as you strengthened Peter so that we might be a strength to others. We do pray that everyone who has heard your word would avail themselves to the ministry of soul care that you have ordered and appointed in your churches, in your kingdom, through your officers, that we would not be ashamed of it, that we would not flee from it, that we would not be afraid of it. And we pray, Lord, that those who are called to it, those whose who have received the hands of the presbyters, that they would do it well and learn from their Savior every day again as he restored and strengthened and cared for the soul of our dear brother, Peter. May we imitate him. To the praise, honor, and glory of his name. Amen.